welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here in Zoomland with William Villalobos, Senior Petroleum Engineer attending the Texas A&M University. William, it's a pleasure to meet you, and thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today, man? How's everything in College Station? Thank you, Justin. Doing good. I recently had a newborn, and he started daycare this week, and so that feels a little different, having him away from home. Yeah, congratulations. How old? You said a little boy? Yes, little boy, Liam Oliver Villalobos. His initials are love. So Dude, that is, hey, a big shout out to love. That is so cool. And so... Yeah, he's out. That's a weary feeling, but there's certainly something to be said about getting out there and, you know, letting the kiddos socialize and, you know, just get out in the real world. That's cool. So I'm sure you miss him. Yeah. And so his name, Liam, comes from the last four letters of my name, William. That's right. Yeah, there we go. I like it. See, there's obviously some intent. It's funny because my mom, when I was younger, I'd ask, how did you come up with my name? And it was one of her friends that she didn't even know that well suggested it. And then she just said, oh yeah, that sounds good. And then my middle name is Lee, which has no relevance to anything. And so that was another friend of hers who suggested Lee as my middle name. So (laughs) I can appreciate the fact that you put some thought into it and a big shout out to my mom. She's a beautiful woman, but naming me was, I guess, a challenge. And so she's just relied on friends' suggestions. But anyway, I digress. So your last name actually means something as well. What was it that you'd said? Villalobos. So Village of the Wolves, that's what it stands for in Spanish. The heritage comes from Spain. My grandma was telling me her great-grandparents were from Spain. They were actually loggers of the Amazon. Wow. So that was something I learned during COVID. Okay. Interesting. So Tell us, where are you from originally? Born in Lima, Peru, raised in Winsboro, Texas, which is by Tyler or Dallas. And my stepfather introduced me to the oil and gas industry in that location. Interesting. Okay. So how old were you when you moved from Peru to Texas? When I was six. Six. Okay. Yeah. I talked to friends still back in Peru and they often asked me, why do I talk like that? Meaning that I don't sound Peruvian. And so I sound more Mexican, I guess. Okay. That's something interesting I found when I discussed with them. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Fine. It feels like the third culture kid. That's what I've heard before. (laughs) Yeah. Don't know which country to call home, but the U.S. definitely the place of opportunity. I'll give it that. That's it. Land of the free, home of the brave, they say. And, you know, for those who've listened for a while, now I'm from Canada. And so I can appreciate coming here and just, again, so much opportunity. And, you know, it's interesting if you really take a step back, obviously, we've gone through some serious turmoil globally over the last few years. But being here in the U.S. and especially Texas, we're so privileged and we're just so fortunate to have the opportunity 
and you know the governor and just people that really support getting out there and politics aside but really just emphasize the need for people to be able to conduct business to socialize and to you know continue with life as we know it or did know it and so again i'm extremely grateful for being down here in the us i have tons of friends from canada that are not real pleased with the current circumstances and the way things have been handled and they're willing to give up everything just to start fresh in the united states so everyone out there listening, you know, just when you think things are a little bad, there's always someone who's got it a little worse. So just to give people a perspective, the U.S. is a great place to be. And like you said, there's tons of opportunity, which it sounds like your father may have come to the U.S. for opportunity. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because he's the one that, that's how you really kind of got exposed to oil and gas. Is that right? Yes. So I actually came to the U.S. with my mom and my older brother. When she remarried to an oil and gas businessman, she is a doctor. And yeah, he introduced me to his company where we developed uh, pipelines and also assembled surface facilities. So in high school, when I worked for him, I essentially just fell in love with the technical and social aspect of each of those operations. And Winsboro is an old natural gas and oil field town. You got the Haynesville field over there. Yeah. And so um, it was interesting to see the development of that and be a part of it. That's the key part. Yeah. What's your favorite memory of being a child and you know being out there with your dad? Yeah. Before I worked with him, well, all the trips. I mean, other than buying me candy each trip. <laughs> that was a way to bribe you or what? No, I think he bought it just so he can eat it too. Oh, know? he's a candy lover. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I got a sweet tooth too. Yeah. <laughs> no, my favorite memory... No, just the meeting the kind of people that he worked with, and they seemed like great people. And so, yeah, I saw some of the bidding and contract work going down. And so that was also interesting. I never knew how hand-in-hand private equity is with the oil and gas sector ah. until I some of those interesting encounters I experienced. Really? So do you remember much in terms of like, because that's interesting because someone typically coming out of undergrad or even someone that's kind of working in the field, it's... The private equity and the finance side of our business is unfamiliar territory. So were you, I mean, was that something that's always interested you or how did you really get exposed to that? Or was your father's sort of tied into the private equity space as well? Or No, it was mainly through my internship where I really got to know private equity. Ah, uh, okay. I would say I was pre-introduced to private equity by working with my father. Interesting. Yeah. But one of my panelists actually has Wall Street experience, and he started his own company, Redeveloping Wells. And so Interesting. that's something he's going to talk about, how they reduce carbon footprints because they redevelop these wells, etc. Fascinating. And we'll touch on that because that's certainly you know one of the reasons why... You know, I wanted to have you on today was to talk about your summit that you're hosting, but I definitely want to give you know an opportunity to get to know you too. But before we get going, I do need to highlight some really cool technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Technip FMC has recently deployed an app designed for their onshore customers. This app can be used on all mobile devices and is designed to quickly and easily find product documentation and support resources, download the latest operation and maintenance manuals. You can access warning and safety instructions. And if you've got a project in mind and you're not exactly sure who to contact within the organization of Technip FMC, the catalog and location and contact us sections can help point you in the right direction. Or you can always contact me and I can get you in touch with Technip FMC. Download their Surface app today by scanning the QR code in their video 
which there's a link in the show notes, or if you just click the link in the show notes, it can walk you through and on how to download it. I'm sure the app store, you can easily find it as well. So check that out. And also we're doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston. Check out OGGN.com for all their events and make sure you check out all the other podcasts. We've got several out there touching on everything from, I mean, technology, ESG, leadership, road to the C-suite. There's just a plethora of different podcasts that focus on all aspects of energy. So be sure to check the rest of those out. Talking about technology. Yeah. I feel like the industry adapting to technology ultimately increases its efficiency and productivity. And even a couple of internships ago, just teaching some of my coworkers what Google Drive is ah. instead of just like balancing Excel files individually or Word docs, et cetera. Yes. That was something that like, I feel like just regular my generation kind of grew up with should be more involved with later generations. No, actually, you know, Will, that's a very good point because when I graduated from college, it was 2009 and, you know, a lot of it was still servers that you'd go on. There'd be multiple files You know, everything was organized on servers, which a bunch of Excel files. And essentially there was a lot of companies that were Excel based companies. I mean, they ran all their accounting, all their operations, all their, everything was based off of Excel. Fast forward to today, a lot of oil and gas companies, some not as much as others, but have adopted a lot of different softwares, a lot of different technologies to, like you said, increase efficiencies and ultimately do more with less people. I'm interested with your being that you're basically graduating now, or is there anything that you learned within your four years, or I forgot how many years, but anyway, through your program, that was maybe different or something that really is fascinating that Texas A&M is exposing you to from a technology. I mean, obviously you probably learned Excel, but is there anything else that's kind of new and exciting that you can relay to people? Other than like coding. Yeah. I think about like drilling info that exposes us to drilling info, spot fire and errors. Yeah. And I feel like those are very commonly utilized softwares in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. At the minimum, there's that. Yeah. So they're keeping up with industry trends and industry demands, obviously. So, yeah, when you get a job, hopefully you can hit the ground running with a little training. Yes. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. So, again, we're going to talk a lot of, you know, about your stuff that you got going on. But I am curious if you had all the money in the world and you had no limitations, what would the ideal Friday night look like to you? And who would you spend that with? Well, I would want to know how to invest it and who would I want to spend it with, with Liam and his mama. Yeah. Gabby. Where? Probably the Swiss Alps, something like that. Okay. Interesting. Have you ever been there before? No, but my brother has, and he's shown me a lot of pictures. Talking about touristy places real quick. I call it the tourist triangle in Peru. Yeah, Machu Picchu, which is like the ancient city of the Incas. You mm-hmm. have the Rainbow Mountains, which is like, it's literally what it is, Rainbow Mountain School. And then the Salt Lake in Bolivia, Salar de Uni, which is like nature's mirror. Because of the water and the solid, it reflects the sky. And so during the daytime, you're walking on the clouds. And at night, you're walking on the stars. That's what it feels like. Wow, that is fascinating. My mom and I actually were going to take a trip. She wants to do Machu Picchu. 
And our schedules didn't align. We ended up going to Mexico instead and enjoyed our time there. But I was actually working offshore and one of the company men lived in Lima and he would travel back and forth and would show me pictures. And I'm sure most people have seen pictures on the internet or even just commercials on TV, whatever the case is, but what a beautiful place. You know, so do you miss being there? In Peru, the main aspect that I miss is the family aspect. For some reason, I'm thinking about my grandma, her story. One of the, she told me about my heritage, about the Spaniards and the loggers, et cetera. But one story that she told me is the way she would like hunt for food. So she lived in the Amazon in the jungle, Iquitos, and north of Peru. And the way she would hunt for food is when the anaconda would go from one river to another, it would leave a little mud trail where the water and fish would follow. And so that's how they would trap the fish. The thing was, is that they never really knew how far away the anaconda was. And so there was that aspect of like, is there anything out there that can hurt me, et cetera. And so eventually when my grandfather, who's in the Peruvian military, went over there for a water, there was a pipeline that broke because of a mudslide. And so they had to give water to the villagers. And so that's how he met my grandma. And so when they got married, eventually they moved to the city. She experienced her first supermarket. Oh, wow. She couldn't believe that like people would been living like that. <laughs> no kidding. Years. Yeah. Wow. And so you still have lots of family over there, I'm assuming? Yeah. The majority of my dad's side is still over there. A lot of my mom's side has migrated over here. Okay. A lot of doctors and engineers. Interesting. So you're following in the footsteps. I like that. <laughs> they must be proud of you, man. I hope so. right cool well i want to pivot and i want to give you an opportunity to speak on the esg summit that you're hosting so yeah if you would tell a little bit about the summit and then after that i'm curious really why you decided to do that but i'll let you go ahead and speak on that yes so i am hosting an oil and gas environmental social governance summit from the perspective of academia regulatory and industry representatives it's going to be March 11th from three to six. There's a happy hour from five to six. And where is that going to be? The At happy the hour? Presidential Conference Center in College Station. Okay. And so the topic itself, what the panelists are going to discuss, the reduction of carbon emissions, which is mainly geared towards the reduction in flaring, making it economical, employment diversity geared towards gender equality, and then community involvement. What companies in their own respective right are doing to benefit the communities that they operate in. And so my keynote speakers are the Commissioner McAdams from the Public Utility Commissioner and the Chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission. They're going to talk about winterization, et cetera. And then my panelists, Mr. Chang, who's a Wall Street guy, he's the President and CEO of Energy, which is they essentially specialize in redeveloping wells. Mrs. Dahl, which is from NOB, she's the Director of Low Carbon Technologies. Mr. Hendricks from Patterson UTI, president and CEO of that company. And then mm-hmm. Dr. Holtapple, who's a chemical engineer and professor. He has a whole portfolio of, how should I put it, of ESG-related operations, such as desalination, carbon capture, biodiesels, etc. He's a very fascinating character. I'll leave it at that. Cool. Wow. Good for you, Will. And so, I mean... And what I'd like to do is is for the listeners, what we'll do is we'll put a link in the show notes. I would imagine there's probably a site that you can register. Is that correct? Yes. Because I'm backed with IEDC, the International Association of Drilling Contractors, it is on their website. So you can register for free there. 
Yeah. Well then, like I said, it'll make it easy for people to scroll through the show notes, click the link, and then they can go ahead and register. That's really fascinating. That topic over the last few years has certainly gained serious momentum. There's a lot of effort and, you know, even investment being, you know, put behind those efforts really, you know, because of, you know, the challenge we've been experiencing through the climate and really just to operate more sustainably. I don't think anyone would argue that's a bad thing, but I'm curious what set you on that path because it's setting up events I've been part of it. I've never led any initiatives like that per se, but I've been a part of it. It's a lot of work. It could take months to prepare. And then it's only, you know, a few hours of actual event time. I'm curious what led you to pursue that and you know why that interests you so much. Yes. So it actually starts with driving for Uber. So being a student, college student at AM, tuition's a little high. So I was scraping the barrel for, or still am, I guess, <laughs> for funding. And so driving for Uber, I eventually had to explain to people, like, what does a petroleum engineer do? I'm thinking about this one lady in particular. She was like, oh, I'm one of those guys, like destroying the planet, et cetera. And so essentially, I ended it set towards the path of having these questions to academia, to industry and regulators, how they interact. And I learned a lot from that, actually, from the event that I hosted with Commissioner Craddock, the health, safety and environment I hosted. And yeah, that was essentially it, having my own questions and I'd rather than be answered in a public setting. And so after I hosted that event, the feedback was great. And I decided to host a new one because about ESG topics, a lot more wider and not so technical, simply to reach a bigger audience. Wow. No, that's amazing. And a big shout out to you. It's taking the younger generation, essentially to take the baton or the torch whatever kind of analogy you want to use, but taking that and really pushing it forward, I think is amazing. You're also interested on the DEI side of things as well, diversity, community involvement, and things like that. Can you further elaborate a bit on that topic as well? Yes. I mainly think about my Middle Eastern classmates. A lot of them don't have the same opportunities if they were to operate or work back home, like in Saudi Arabia, et cetera. And so seeing their limited area of operation, put it that way. I saw that initiative and also women being in the oil and gas sector, especially in the executive departments. It was kind of tough just to find Mrs. Dahl, to be straightforward. Yes. I wish I had more women panelists to kind of put that, push that point further. Yes. I'm still grateful for the panelists that I have. I do notice that there is a very lacking of women in the oil and gas industry. I am uncertain why. If they're working in the office or even in the field, I had some classmates that work out in the field in the oil and gas industry, but it's very far and few. No. And you know what? That's an interesting observation. And I commend you for taking the initiative to create awareness around that. I mean, historically, the oil and gas field, and I'm just I'm speaking through observation in my own experience, has been predominantly males, predominantly white males here in North America. Now, again, that's a blank statement. Obviously, there's tons of people all over the world. I would say the energy industry in itself is probably the most diverse industry because there's people from all over the world work it. But yeah, I think it stems back, you know, from I mean, the late 1800s, early 1900s, you know, when the Rockefeller family, you know, I mean, there's where it all started here in, you know, North America was a set group of individuals. And so perhaps it's just kind of, you know, through evolution and the sort of the evolution of the oil and gas industry have kind of kept it to, you know, very similar 
I will say, and I can introduce you perhaps to, I know a lady quite well through my graduate program who leads the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives over at Inveris. I'd love to introduce you to her. I think you could possibly, it'd be someone great to have within your network. So I'll make that offline, but I commend you and again, applaud you for doing that. And obviously someone like yourself, who's coming from an outside country, coming in here, going to school, I think it's extremely important for you. And I think, again, it's great that you're shouting from the rooftops and saying, Hey, this needs attention. I'm going to try to make an impact. And that leads me to my next question. You know, through the years, there's been a lot of interest in going to work for companies like, well, Facebook, you know, Google, Amazon, you know, Peloton, Tesla, like a lot of these companies that are doing a phenomenal job of telling their story and creating excitement around their industry and their companies. Graduating from high school, was there a lot of folks interested in the oil and gas industry or what was the perception from the younger generation towards oil and gas? Cause because I've heard that it's negative and it's the oil and gas industry is bad. We need to go work in renewables again, through observation and talking to people. Those are some of the things I've heard just among your peers that aren't in the petroleum engineering program. What's the perception out there right now within the younger generation? It is pretty negative. And that's actually part of the reason why I hosted that first summit was because when we were presenting to the freshman class, we being the IHC student chapter, I remember my director telling this young woman about us. And as soon as she said that we're a professional oil and gas group, this freshman just stuck her hand in her face and walked off. And I was like, yeah, that's, wow. that kind of hit it home where like, all right, I face these people driving for Uber. It's no big deal. But like, this is an A&M student. And there's even been protests around campus to keep it in the ground, et cetera. Really? And so, uh, yeah. At A&M? At all places. We kind of wow. thought it was a joke at first, but no, it was there. I'm very surprised to hear that. I mean, again, being in Texas, Texas A&M is you know, widely known as probably one of the most predominant petroleum engineering schools. And so that surprises me. But again, that's the reality. And so I think it's, again, important for folks to educate those who otherwise do look down upon the oil and gas industry, which could be a complete another topic for another day. Anyway, you were going to say something. Yes. And I remember meeting some donors, A&M donors, and I asked them, like, why even donate to A&M? And it's simply because they feel like their generation failed the younger generation. And so they wanted to do their part in developing which respective student organization Mm. at A&M. So that was interesting. Oh, yeah. Quick note is IADC student chapter is open to sponsorship. So if you want to look at that packet sometime, that'd be great. (laughs) Okay. If you have a link, put that, send it to me and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Because I would imagine there's a link to doing that. So that's really interesting, Will. And so one of the, I guess, other questions I do have for you, I mean, you're really just getting started in your career. What kind of future goals and aspirations do you have using your petroleum engineering degree? And where do you see yourself, you know, as part of the, in this big picture of oil and gas and energy for that matter? Yes. So one of the reasons I chose petroleum engineering uh, and the pay we're all working to make money ultimately yeah. is the area of operations. So coming from one country to another, my family being licensed professionals in Peru, not all of them were able to transfer their licenses over here to the U.S., like mm. doctors, lawyers, engineers. And so seeing that, yeah, no, I thought about oil and gas, kind of grew up with it. It's oil is all no matter where you go, which part of the world you go. 
And so that was kind of one of the bigger driving factors. And earlier you mentioned on technology, adapting to technology. I've been keeping up with neighbors and their robot automatic drilling rig. Yes. And although it seems expensive, I remember seeing one of the comments, like the future is now. So I feel like technology is another big aspect. The technology involved in the oil and gas extraction and production process uh, yeah. was interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, the sheer count of people within our industry is shrinking. Uh, a lot of people left and are not coming back. So with less people demands automation and allowing people like you and I to essentially do more and cover more ground because simply there's just not enough talent. I mean, right now it's interesting. You look at just, let's use rig count, for example, there's roughly, you know, I think around 550, 600 rigs in the lower 48 and oil's at close to 90. When oil was at 90 before the downturn, we were at somewhere like 1200 drilling rigs. And obviously those drilling rigs had people on them, but now we have half the rig count and essentially half the activity on the drilling side. I think frack spreads are, I think, around 260, so quite a bit less than what they were pre-COVID. And we're right now still having a hard time finding people. It's like, we're only half as busy on a recount basis. <laughs> so where did all these people go? I think a lot of them just got fed up with the volatility. And so ultimately, it's going to require technology and innovation to be able to produce oil and gas with less people. And I think a lot of companies are forging ahead and making that happen, but it's going to take folks like, you know, the younger generation to continue to push and to adopt and learn and implement just essentially ideas from outside the box, because that's what it's going to take. And we're so, as an industry, we're comfortable with legacy systems, legacy procedures, and adapting to change can often be challenging. But it takes folks like yourself and even, I mean, I'm only 35 and, and I'm a huge early adopter. I love technology. I love doing things different. Although there's a higher level of risk, I think the reward is far exceeds the risk. And, you know, in some cases, depending on what you're talking about. But again, it's an interesting observation. And I applaud you and, and your cohorts there, Texas A&M, for, you know, keeping the fire alive because without people, our industry wouldn't be anything. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. It is to us to maintain the tried and proven technology. It is a bit hesitant to try unproven technology, just like anything unproven. Yeah. So it takes risk. So Yeah. So before we close out here, I do have one last question. And I think it's important, again, for you know the generation that comes after you, is what could we, and I say we as an industry, do to help promote and gain confidence within the younger generation to enter the oil and gas space. Is there anything that you feel we're doing a poor job at? It's coming from your perspective as a young petroleum engineering graduate. What can we do different or better to essentially get people from wanting to go work for Tesla and Amazon to come work for companies like, you know, AES Drilling Fluids or Halliburton or Exxon Mobil, yeah. which again, a lot of those companies are <laughs> getting a bit of a negative connotation from media, but what comes to mind? What can you offer up? I mainly think about technology, talk about your latest and greatest technology, just like about neighbors, robotics in general. That was kind of interesting. But my main aspect that I think about is involve your a company's or individual's involvement with the upcoming generation that's in college, say like the student organizations, not only petroleum engineering, but uh, energy sector affiliated, because that kind of gives 
the even younger generation, they can learn from their older sibling perspective. And that's something that like every freshman that comes up always asks me for advice. And it's not always like petroleum or oil and gas affiliated, just like general life advice. And so if you have people that are have a keen interest for the oil and gas industry, teaching the younger generation like that, and they're passing their ideology forward. I think that's that's a great way to do that. So essentially support student organizations that support the oil and gas industry. Yeah, that's great advice. Awesome. I appreciate that. And one last question on more on the personal side of things is, again, we're going to switch gears here. What's one thing about yourself that not many people know about? Do you have any kind of unique hobbies outside of obviously being a father now and studying your tail off? What do you do for fun? Or do you have any sort of interesting things that you like to do outside of being busy? Well, when you mentioned fun, back in high school, I was party boy, whatever. But then like about to graduate with a petroleum engineering degree. Petroleum engineering is hard and a lot of study time involved with that. So a fun fact about myself, I learned that I have a family in Chile that own a circus. I visited them before uh, two years ago. Yeah. And, but what do I do in my free time? I just look at stocks. I try ah. to see how to invest my money. Kind of, I referenced that earlier when the, if I had unlimited funds, it's like, all right, put it in each respective company. Yeah. Okay. So are you interested in the crypto space or just regular stocks? Both. And so okay. with crypto, there's a lot of volatility. And so the thing with that is there's room for margin. So, I mean, there's that side. And then with stocks, I like the long-term aspect. Well, also with crypto. But anyways, with crypto, what something that was interesting that I never knew about until my internship KEM is I've experienced these crypto miners, Bitcoin miners, using our would-be flared gas to power their servers and to generate Bitcoin. And I found that interesting. And my boss didn't care what they did with our gas as long as they bought it from us. (laughs) Yeah. And so there was that aspect that I found interesting as well. Very cool. No, that's fascinating. So again, this is not investment advice, but (laughs) if you had to pick one and you were just going to go all in on a stock or a crypto coin, whatever it would be, what would be the one if you were just for fun, put all your money in, what would it be? I would still stay with stocks. Reason being is because there's still upcoming regulations. And I think about the Ukraine and Russia stuff. I feel like there's going to be a lot of restrictions applied to that because of geopolitical dilemmas. Right. I I know. I would agree with that. Well, look, Will, this has been an absolute fantastic conversation. I'm going to put a post out on LinkedIn once we're finished recording to put some information on the summit, and then this will get released before the summit, but I definitely want to help you as much as I can promote it. And so again, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And with that said, Will, do you have any closing last words before we log out here? Yeah. I usually like to ask people, how was your day? Okay. Well, my day has been fantastic. If you're asking me, then I would say it's been great. I've been, you know, I woke up, put both feet on the ground, took a deep breath. The sun was shining, took my kids to school, which was amazing. It's a little chilly outside. Most of my neighbors threw their kids in the car and drove in their nice heated vehicles. I elected to make sure my kids put warm jackets on and bear the cold weather. And it's not even that cold considering I'm from Canada and spent many days walking to school in the snow, probably minus 20 (laughs) It's like eight degrees out, which is beautiful. And so I got to, you know, walk with my kids to their school. And so that was an amazing day so far. So if I win the morning, I win the day. And so far it's been great. And then to have a conversation with you, it's been absolutely amazing. Like I said, with technology, 
just being here, being healthy, my family's healthy. I mean, I just, you know, they could take everything away from me right now and I'd still be happy because I know I could just build it all back up again. Amen. It's good to hear. Great. Well, everyone, thanks again for joining us today. Please add our man, Will, to LinkedIn. Obviously, he's doing great things. He's helping the industry. And with that said, thanks for joining me. And always remember, when the gas is up and the density is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.